Hello, and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week on the show, we uh, are talking about the global hit blockbuster success. Yes, that's right. F. Gary Gray's The Fate of the Furious, starring Vin Diesel. Vincent Diesel. Vincent. Uh, Charlize Theron, uh, who was in um, the movie Hancock with uh, Willard Smith. And uh, there's also Dwayne Johnson, uh, who was in The Tooth Fairy, if I'm... If I recall, uh, Tyrese Gibson, who is also in the um, oh uh, the uh, famous uh, vehicles of Transform, the Transformers. Oh yes, the Transformers. Uh, directed by the stellar Michael Bay and L- Ludacris, of course, famous Renaissance man, Ludacris, musician, actor, writer, rhapsode. Okay, yes. there you go. And uh, the other uh, Michelle Rodri- Rodriguez from Girl Fight. So, yes, uh, Lee, before we get into uh, the summary of the film, which uh, Lee will read a little bit later, I want to know how my co-host is doing. How are you doing, Lee? Well, if I were to say in a single word how my week has been, I'd say opulent. Yourself, Jason? I am in a splendid mood today. Uh, It is gray here in Quebec City. It's rainy. Just the kind of temperature that is perfect for talking about Fate of the Furious. Of course. So, uh, could you give us a rundown, a summary of of the Fate of the Furious lead before we actually get into what we really want to talk about today? Certainly. Um, I'm just going to take this from the seminal information database that is IMDb. When a mysterious woman seduces Dom into the world of terrorism and a betrayal of those closest to him, the crew, the family, if you will, face trials that will test them as never before. I think that says it all, really. That really gets to the point. But before we get into the analysis portion of, uh, of the show, uh, we'll play the uh, promotional material uh, for Fate of the Furious. Stay tuned. Dominic Toretto just went rogue. You gonna turn your back on family? I'm taking you down, Toretto. Wanna play like that? If you're gonna catch Dom, you're gonna need a little help. You wanna tell me why you just put me in a room with this criminal? You know, I think that tight t-shirt's cutting off the circulation of your brain. You should get a bigger size. You guys are gonna work together. Love to. Holy! You just don't give up, do they? Got you, brother. As per our usual format uh, in attacking a, a, uh, a film of this caliber, Lee and I uh, tend to sit down and write uh, our specific approaches, what we gained in terms of knowledge and a little bit of research, uh, what we do after uh, seeing a film such as The Fate of the Furious. And so if you'll allow me to begin, Lee. I would love, I would love that. When I was watching Fate of the Furious, the main aspect that really jumped out to me was a family's ability for resilience in adaptation when faced with adversity. Yes. So 
To me, the ultra-postmodern society has reshuffled what consists of the familial unit and redefined what family actually means. I was uh, reminded of a TED Talks presentation by Seth Godin, who argues that the internet, and more specifically social networks, has given rise to an all-new form of interaction that is akin to tribes, essentially groups of people that flock together based on shared values, interests, passion, regardless of race and gender. So like the familiar from the Fast and the Furious franchise. Exactly. Now, there is a growing fear that globalization will lead to uh, the loss of cultural identity and the dissolution of the nuclear family, when in fact, that fear points to a growing hypocrisy in the U.S., given its position on immigration, that even if there is a utopic undertone of a world without race in U.S. discourse, the borders still exist because there is a choice to be made when it comes to what consists of family. In other words, to whom do you owe your allegiance? Blood or tribe? Now, in my opinion, The Fate of the Furious supports the changing familial dynamic and explores how when faced with adversity... Resilience and adaptation are key in establishing stronger familial ties that redefine the classic familial structure. Now, in order to frame my explanation, I read Froma Walsh's book entitled Normal Family Processes. A classic. Yes, it, it, absolutely. It was one of the, the, the books that I read in order to heal mentally. Chapter 17, which is named Family Resilience, Strengths Forged Through Adversity. And she explains, and I quote, Beyond seeing individual family members as potential resources for individual resilience, the concept of family resilience focuses on risk and resilience in the family as a functional unit. A basic premise in this systemic view is that serious crises and persistent adversity have an impact on the whole family and in turn key family processes mediate the adaptation of all members and their relationships. Key processes in resilience enable the family system to rally in troubled times to buffer stress, reduce the risk of dysfunction, and support optimal adaptation. Walsh goes on to explain that, quote, flexibility, a core process in resilience, involves openness to adaptive change, which she took from Olson and Goral in 2003. The ability to rebound is often thought as bouncing back, like a spring, to a pre-existing shape or norm. However, After most serious crises and transitions, families cannot simply return to quote-unquote normal life as they knew it. To continue, a more apt metaphor might be bouncing forward. She quotes herself in 2002 in another book she wrote, which the title escapes me right now. So this bouncing forward, essentially adapting to meet new challenges and constructing a new normal. That's fascinating. Families often need help in navigating uncharted terrain, recalibrating relationships, and reorganizing patterns of interaction to fit new conditions. Last little point I want to take from Walsh. At the same time, family needs to buffer and counterbalance disruptive changes to restore stability, and vulnerable family members need assurance of continuity, dependability, and predictability through turmoil with separations and loss. Now, that being the theoretical framework with which I want to attack a little bit of The Fate of the Furious, two specific moments of resilience and adaptation in the film are the family adapting to Tom Dom... Ah, Tom Dom. <laughs> Tom Dom. <laughs> Two specific moments of resilience and adaptation in the film are, first, the family adapting to Dom's departure is the process of recalibrating a relationship and reorganizing patterns of interaction to fit new conditions. Now, Dom is the center of the group. His departure creates an influx that the gang, namely Letty, 
Roman, Tej, Ramsey, and Hobbes must overcome. At first, there is a resistance to the recalibration on some of the characters' part. For example, Letty resists, obviously, because she and Dom are recently married and are discussing the potential of having a child. Letty's resistance is reinforced by witnessing Dom's physical interaction with Cypher, Charlie's Theron, the villain, in the form of a kiss, to which Letty reacts by saying, are you going to turn your back on family? Which is what we would call an example of her inflexible manner by trying to guilt Dom into coming back to her. Great. The same can be said about Hobbes' interaction with Deckard Shaw. Deckard is known for being responsible for Han Lu's death and also for being the villain in Furious 7. Hobbes' and Deckard's beef is that of the simple cops and robbers dynamic present in many action films. Enter Mr. Nobody, Kurt Russell's character, who sees the bigger picture. The fact that if he can get the protagonists to work with Deckard, who has had dealings with Cypher in the past through his mother, Madeline Shaw, the exquisite Helen Mirren, and his brother Owen Shaw from Fast 6, Mr. Nobody can get the stolen nuclear codes as well as Dom, and therefore reforming the family. Now, if Dom is the quote-unquote good guy turned bad, the only way to restore stability is to navigate what Walsh has labeled uncertain terrain. In other words, the gang must recalibrate their relationship with Deckard Shaw in order for them to adapt to the adversity they are facing. If they reorganize the patterns of interaction to fit new conditions, namely working with individuals that were in opposition to them, the Shaw family, the gang will show resilience and step toward their new normal. The second instance of resilience in Fate of the Furious is Dom's resisting Cypher's attempt to steal his family. As I mentioned a little earlier, Fate of the Furious seeks to redefine the classic familial structure by showing that when faced with adversity, adaptation is needed to form stronger familial ties. In the film, Dom is confronted with a past romance, Elena, who has given birth to a son. In this case, Dom is given a choice. Either kill Cypher, who has put him in this predicament, or defend the mother of his child and his child, and therefore take his place at the center of the classic nuclear family. Because family is what is most important to Dom, he seemingly chooses blood over tribe in this case. However, Dom shows incredible resilience because he is forced to adapt. He also reorganizes patterns of interaction with Deckard Shaw's mother, Madeline Shaw, and with Mr. Nobody, thus inviting the quote, is the enemy of my enemy, my friend, saying into this conversation. Now, if I can expand just a little farther on what Seth Godin has labeled tribes, I would say that tribes could also be called adoptive families, Brilliant. in which case Cypher tries to disrupt both Dom's nuclear family and adoptive family, literally robbing him from either and force her version of family upon him. She kills Elena and tries to replace her by cuddling the baby boy. That's great. And, and and already we can see parallels with topics we've covered on the show in the past, including the works of Paul Thomas Anderson, the adoptive family. We've uh, this well-tread ground on Atlantic Screen Connection. So it's it's great that we can we can see these threads even being covered by some of the the finest of blockbuster media, such as The Fate of the Absolutely. Furious. Absolutely. Uh, good point. I, it had escaped me while I was writing. Uh, this, but I'm glad that you're here to remind me of these things. I'll go back and listen to our older shows. I'm quite a fan. What this brings us, with her cuddling the baby boy, Cypher wants to be the woman at the center of the nuclear family. Notice the emphasis on nuclear here. Brilliant. Cypher looking for the codes that would put her at the center of attention. 
genius. This is art. So because the gangs show incredible resilience in retrieving the nuclear codes at the end of the film, that cements Dom at the center of the family, but also constructs the quote-unquote new normal because of the combined effort of the Shaw's and Dom's gang to end Cypher's terrorist plan. Absolutely so brilliant. So that was what I took away uh, on my initial viewing of Fate of the Furious. It's great to see um, the ideas of, of the familial being expounded upon in, 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 in such ways. I mean, and, it, and what's great is that in the material, it's all there. It's all there to be read into. Clearly, F. Gary Gray and the writers of this film have taken a lot of time to piece out meticulously the, the structures with which to draw upon. And I think nothing could be clearer than when you that you drew the the parallel between nuclear family, and the nuclear bomb that uh, can't be coincidence. No, it cannot be coincidence. And it's interesting because as we talk about this new normal in the face of adversity, even Dwayne Johnson's character Hobbs is a single father in the film. You know, so we have these very interesting instances of what the new familial concept is. And so this this quote-unquote tribe or adoptive family as i prefer to call it because tribe is well tribe is tribe i think that if we are all going to adopt a new normal the fate of the furious would be one of the communal experiences in which the audience would be able to learn a little bit more on how to uh, restructure reanalyze reshuffle re-many things to identify and accept there you have it i agree i I couldn't agree more in fact it's it's very much a film that it it struck me immediately as as a communal experience so to see that the story both informs community and evokes community is incredible it's uh it's the kind of uh great writing we we've come to expect from this franchise it's interesting because even universal are the producers and it's in the name brilliant Yes. Right? It's not like Sony. They have a world vision and clearly they are Exploiting. funding projects that ex- ex- explore that. Exactly. As- and uh, just one last quote from Fran Walsh um, was uh, she mentioned in chapter 17. Uh, the well-functioning families approach crises or prolonged adversity as a shared challenge. And I believe that the fast franchise uh, is a testament to that, uh, even with their relationship uh, with the audience. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've... <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a shared challenge. No one wants to sit there, but they're making fuck tons of money. <laughs> <laughs> to me, if we if we look at, just quickly, I want to get into what you have to talk about uh, because it does, family is the, the unifying theme of the Fast franchise. I think that uh, with Dom uh, not necessarily being sad at Elena's death, uh, shows incredible resilience uh, in him adopting the new ideal of the familial unit and yeah. bringing his son and giving it to Letty uh, as, as her request of being a mother. What, what better way of... How modern, how sophisticated. Exactly. So that's what I picked up on my initial viewing. I, I want to throw the ball to you, Lee. Yes. I think what's great is that my piece is, is more... It's a companion piece to yours in that yours is the we... And this, mine, is the I. Focuses on the singular, yours is the family. But there's an overlap there, and the overlap is Dominic Toretto, and we will discuss him in great detail here. Excellent. So here's my hypothesis. Fate of the Furious is an exploration of Freud's theories of the id, ego, 
and Super Ego. And the Battle of the oh, Ego... How modern. <laughs> never debunked. <laughs> <laughs> Fate of the Furious is an exploration of Freud's theories of the id, ego, and superego, and the battle of the ego attempting to navigate the multitude of aggressions it receives from both the id and the superego. And we see this through Dominic Toretto's struggle throughout the narrative. Yeah, yeah. So first I want to divulge a little on Freud and his theories. The id, the ego, and the superego are three parts of the psychic apparatus, a structural model of the psyche, firmly theoretical and ever-changing, and certainly not tied directly to neurological understanding, very much formed a groundwork to our understanding of neurological patterns in today's modern world. So uh, this is all very, very relevant. I can see where you're going with this. This is fascinating. So these three parts can be summarized as such. We have the id, our instinctual desires, uncontrolled and undirected, often contradictory and base. We have this part of our brain first, the part before we absorb conscious information. And so it's connected to the infantile state of demands for the immediate. It is all bias and instinct. Then we have the superego. This is our moral conscience, our aspirations, and the structure that binds us to our way of thinking. Inherited and developed through the image of our parents as we grow up with them, and with those who teach us. It essentially defines the limits and aspirations of our mind based on conceptions and beliefs espoused on us by exposure to our guiding forces. Finally, there's the ego. <laughs> the ego? This <laughs> <laughs> is true American spirit! <laughs> Finally, there's the ego. This is our conscious mitigator, yep. our sense of reality. Driven by external forces, like our surroundings, where we live and the rules of reality as we come to perceive them, it seeks to find the middle ground between pleasing the id's constant impulses and obeying the superego's drive. Lest we be chastised or punished with complex responses such as guilt and shame. <laughs> the ego is our rationale, and its many defense mechanisms emerge in forms like denial, intellectualism, fantasy, regression, dissociation, idealization. It goes on. It's, it is an extensive list. I really want to tie this into The Fate of the Furious. And as aforementioned, I want to look at Dominic Toretto and his role as the ego. Dominic Dom Toretto is the uniting balance of the Fast and the Furious universe. The head of the familia, we see him in Havana at the start of the movie, as the idealized version of man, a leader in his community, dignified and deified, a great family man to his cousin, a role model to his peers, a caring lover to his wife. And through a street race, we see his ability to navigate not just the streets of Havana to uphold these strengths, and we don't see them just as physical shows and feats, but as metaphors for his navigation of the labyrinth of pressures both external, as in the motorbikes that come into his path, and the traffic that he dodges, and even the split, the forked roads that he chooses and navigates with ease, and the pressure's internal, exploding engine, nose gas, terrible car, all of which he navigates with incredible foresight and expertise, upholding his role as ego. But what happens when we challenge the ego? That is the core structure of the film. We see the plot deteriorate once Dom's ego has been questioned. What would he be like as a father? asks Letty. Here Letty plays the role of the id, forming the demand of his personal, chaotic, impulsive mind. Shouldn't he reproduce? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't he be a father? And this draws the superego into the equation. It's his moral obligation, his duty. All higher concepts of his family role challenge him now to uphold that position. And this pressure forms an anxiety within Dom that manifests itself as Cypher, the representation of the superego's demands and pressures. 
For the remainder of the plot, we see the struggle of Dom the Ego as he attempts to mitigate the demand of his id and his superego in order to please both parties and return peace of mind to himself. Let's look at the external factors that surround him. For his id, we have the cars, the stereotypes, murder, nuclear power, love, and think of the spectacle, the wrecking ball that forms the division of his family, nothing more than a physical force, base and obtuse. His desires for children literally divide the family, and we see this in the form of the wrecking ball. Miley Cyrus talks about a wrecking ball in one of her songs. Yes, and we all know how base that is. A city overrun by self-driving autonomous cars. This is all the mounting pressure his id is putting on him to seek sheer pleasure. And it's here at his worst that we see him in the true personification of the id, as a gimp mask-wearing chainsaw guy. <laughs> Do you think that the mask that Dominic wears is a metaphor for the true nature of his plan? Um, is he masking his 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 true uh, nature uh, based on what you're saying? I'm saying I, I think it's more that the mask represents the total conformity of his personality to the id, but it's not really him. He's the ego. So when he dons the gimp mask, he truly dons the persona right. <laughs> of the id. Yes, the id. And therefore, and so it, yeah. it goes down to um, uh, what we'd say in the fetish parlance, uh, he would be a dominatrix of sort. So could we call him Dominatrix Toretto? <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Meanwhile, his superego demands, his family strain, his obligation to let them know, his duty to be a good father by rescuing his son from Cypher, his marriage that is being torn apart by the pressure of his ex-lover's unintended pregnancy, his faith as questioned by his hanging up of the cross, his moral obligation to his family and community as enforced by Luke Hobbs, who actively plans to kill him if he does not adhere to his duty. Yeah. And Cypher, who controls all of these pressures. Mm. We see his low point here with constant immobilization. Watching his lover die. Watching his child behind glass. Listening to Cypher's plan. And even caught between the grappling hooks of the family. He's being torn apart by these pressures to uphold his own ideals of self-actualization. What's our resolve? Well, between the two forces, there is only one force he can still rely on. Reality. Unchecked by either id or superego. Yes. The external forces that lie beyond his behest in the real world that he can use to inform and tame the draw of the other two. Behest, yes. So he contacts Magdalene Shaw, who controls the two factors that are least in Dom's control, the Shaw brothers. By mastering their support, he frees his son and thereby frees himself from the control of Cypher. Then to show his control over his id, he gains control of his car again and uses it to dodge heat-seeker missiles thus reuniting with his family. His son returned and his family reunited. Dom circumnavigates the pressures of the superego and id to restore balance to his sanity and alleviate the pressures that surround him. So, essentially what F. Gary Gray has done here is create a critical fiction that attempts to repurpose some of Freud's most prominent workings and theories about the factors that affect the development of a personality by distilling these elements to their most base. By focusing on a character with absolutely no personality whatsoever, as we do with Dom Toretto, we can see ego and the pressures. 
<laughs> I got so far with that. <laughs> it's a, such a slap in the face. It has no personality. <laughs> with absolutely no personality whatsoever, as we do with Dom Toretto, we can see Ego and the pressures of the id and superego all the clearer. By bringing this to a modern Fast and the Furious audience, F. Gary Gray is attempting to expand beyond the simple heist narrative of the later Fast and Furious films into a new area of psychic interpretation, psychoanalytical education, and metaphorical intentions, and thus unite the popcorn movie crowd at long last with those craving the next big highbrow action movie. I think that speaks for itself. Uh, I think you, uh, you summed it up quite well. Uh, and even if I can elaborate a little on what you said uh, the choice of costumes uh, really speaks to that that metamorphosis between the id the ego and the superego with um, Dominic Toretto uh, wearing a um, a white wife beater <laughs> what do they call those things uh, no that's what they're called they're called wife beaters <laughs> But there's probably a proper name for it. I don't know. Fest. <laughs> it's because I can't. I can't say it with the straight face. And I think F. Gary Gray uh, does a good job in showing Dominic Toretto's evolution through the use of of uh, costumes, the wardrobe department. Right at the beginning of the film, when you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Cuba, he's wearing a white wife beater, and when he um, when Dominic shifts towards the um, the dark side uh, of of freud's of the id dark side of the the id um he's wearing uh, all black uh, to show just how uh, impenetrable um well there you have it i think i think the the conclusion there is self foregone um yeah and i mean i really appreciated um that take on it and um i wanted to just uh, add a little something to um, the aspect of, of what you were talking about, Freud, but also bringing it back to the uh, resilience I was talking about at the beginning. Yes, uh, Because yes, um, the way uh, the resilience is set up uh, goes hand in hand with the car sequence that you were talking about at the beginning, his navigator. Uh, absolutely. And, yes. um, uh, you know, they're in Cuba on their honeymoon, Dom and Letty. And I think that in order to set up his motifs, uh, director... F. Gary Gray uses specific camera angles in order to really cement the motifs he wants to put forth. Um, if we look at how he, uh, the director, uh, F. Gary Gray, intercuts Dom and Letty's stroll with uh, establishing shots that heighten the communal aspect of the Cuban lifestyle, um, with medium shots of men and women dancing near recently polished cars, and again, yes. re-emphasizing the aspect of community uh, by also incorporating um, the cars as symbolic of familial transportation. Um, Brilliant. He also then moves to uh, close-up shots of women's uh, backsides. Yeah, posteriors. Uh, also seemingly recently polished uh, that lure the viewer in for a much closer reading of the film that we have just kind of broken down. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree harder. <laughs> so uh, this is the first portion of, of the show. Do you uh, have anything else uh, to add to this portion? Because we'll, we'll take a quick break and we would come back to uh, just finish up the, the episode. 
no, I, I feel that the uh, that was a lot of information to divulge on our audience, and that we should perhaps give them a chance to collect themselves before before coming back with more mind blowing Fast and the Furious information. Excellent. So um, stay tuned. We will be back after this quick break. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Sheila. We are tonight's entertainment. Sad good. Yes, sir. I know who I am. Did I like you just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a lost will. You know it's a dance off, bro. It is your destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. So welcome back. We hope yeah. that you guys enjoyed uh, the um, these so-called what we're going to call this, Lee, the intellectual portion of our yeah. of our fate of the furious. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> intellectual. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the reasoning behind that was was um, we know we know how dumb these movies are, and when I I I pitched this to you, I think didn't I? Yes. Uh-huh. And I, I figured that because. You know, I just wanted to have a good time. I didn't really want to rack my brain. Yeah, nobody uh, wants to. I, nobody wants to beat themselves up fucking really actually studying Fast and the Furious or even going the other way and just like reviewing it for an hour. That it would kill yeah, us, man. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the fate of the the Fast franchise has its diehard fans, and yeah. what 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 would it be for us to just start shitting on a movie? Because it, it doesn't make any sense of plot contrivances. And yeah, all of those movies are like that. We wanted to have a good time, push our, our ourselves to kind of go out and do research on specific things so that we could come in and with a, a fresh perspective, uh, rather than just looking at the film, we could actually look at what the film is trying to do in the context yeah. of the, the world we're living in right now. Yeah, and exactly. I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a blast doing this. This is fucking oh, man, I had so much fun. I, you know, I actually had, it was a material I was kind of researching on my own just to think of what I could use it with maybe in the future. Uh, was that I read this article? They're they're doing studies about racial bias and how it's they're finding. Yeah, that, I read that, that too. It's, it's yeah, it's like implicit in the in the mind. Mm-hmm. And I was I had this I had this whole stuff prepared for Psychology to Today quotes of a guy called Bernard J. Luskin, and it was going to be talking about the amygdala as the emotional center of the brain and how wow. fear and and <laughs> and and bias react quicker than your than your logical impulses from your mm. your frontal cortex. Yeah, and so I, I I wanted to try and work that in. I've been trying to think of something to work that in for ages because I found it like super interesting as a read, but nothing's really come up, and uh, it didn't have enough meat in itself. So I just went like, further back and uh, did Freud instead. <laughs> oh, the same same thing for me. That uh, what I initially had started reading was was uh, Mary Beltran's Fast and Bilingual. It's Fast and the Furious and the Latinization of Racelessness. Oh my and- god, that's right. You had like. 30 odd theses written by people about like how intellectual the Fast and the Furious films could be read as that was exactly you know and how Hollywood basically is is um saying that you know the 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 racelessness in the Fast and the Furious is uh, purely aesthetic there's no real purpose for them to be doing that and how the whole marketing aspect of the Fast and Furious is to cater to a Latino audience but I started steering away from that because being a white guy talking about that stuff would have been a little bit of a touchy subject in my opinion so I decided to go with the pants how it's handled but I yeah I mean you kind of have to know your shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I'm not really well versed in, 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 well, nor am I in the family dynamic. It's just that it felt a lot easier for me to kind of 
just kind of play with family, you know, because family is the general main. That's all they fucking say. Yeah, you know. Yeah. To be fair, in this film they they toned it back. In the last film, they said it every fucking half sentence, but this one it was like six or seven times. <laughs> oh yeah, but it, it's on screen. You know, yeah, the Rock yeah, is a definitely. coach. They're bringing in the mother for the Shaw brothers, and now like Dominic <laughs> has to choose between the his 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 racing family and his real family. In a sense, it's just all over the place. You're reading into it. That was that was our first mistake was trying to read into it. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, Overall, I mean, if I'm being honest, I had a great time watching this fucking. Yeah, piece of no, ab- absolutely. It's 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 wonderful to uh, to go so, to just go out and and switch your brain off for almost two and a half hours, though. I mean, but was it really off? Mine wasn't off at all, man. I I I, <laughs> I was taking it in, laughing, and I mean, I think we were ten at my showing, and I went with my friend Juan. You know the stuff that I posted on yeah. Instagram. Uh, it was so fucking hilarious, and. You know, walking out of the theater, the first thing he says to me, and I wish I would have captured this on video, he says to me, Jesus fucking Christ, man, I feel like going to the gym and start stealing cars. I was like, is that the message? Is that the message? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, like, my brain's always on at first, but there's a point where you're trying, when when I'm trying to make something of nothing, and my brain trips over itself, and then I, I fall into... That sort of comatose like, I form. Th- I know exactly. Where I'm just what you're absorbing information. <laughs> well, I see. To me, uh, there is a definite point in the film where that actually started to happen, yeah. and it's the the raining cars sequence oh, where the my cars God. just. Come, I feel like they're just trying to hammer you over the head. Stop thinking. Stop <laughs> thinking. Bang, so bang, 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 bang. It worked. I, I, it worked. I, I switched off entirely. Exactly. I was <laughs> just pummeled sort of by laughing, noise. enjoying myself. <laughs> exactly. I was just laughing my ass off. One was next to me just punching the shit out of me. Check that. It's fucking insane. <laughs> uh, God damn. But, uh, you know, but I'm going to rewatch this. I had so much fun. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, like that's the thing. Like, it's, um, I, I want to see it outside of cinema. I've made the mistake the first time with Fast and Furious 7 was the first one I'd seen. And, I, and this is the second one. I, I went back after the last one because it was that good so i thought uh yeah so you know i really enjoyed that in cinemas but the second time i realized that it's really not for cinema like the spectacle is kind of blurry as it is so you're never really seeing stuff on the big screen like you're supposed to see it but the whole point is that it's funny it's fucking hilarious and what you want to do is get a fucking a group of friends with a similar sense of humor and ease the night into a long night of watching fast and the furious films because then you get (laughs) Then you get to joke about it without being reprimanded by the guy next to you or something like that. You know, I I, I felt uncomfortable because I, I wanted to laugh my ass off. But maybe this is the thing with UK cinemas, but they're very, they're very quiet. Nobody really reacts that often, not even to comedies. Sometimes you'll get really lively audiences. It, it just doesn't happen here. So you feel uncomfortable emoting in any way. And me and my brother, who I went to see it with, we were just fucking busting up the entire time. And we had to, like, tone it down the entire time. And we were, like, whispering jokes to each other as we were watching it. And, like, I shouldn't have had to do that. I should have just been at home and had it on TV. And, and when you're there and you're not allowed to laugh, you realize that huge stretches of the film, nothing is happening. And it's actually yeah. incredibly dull. So... Ugh. Uh, so Absolutely. like, whereas when you're in a more comfortable location and, and you're 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 drinking and you could just chat over the film anyway, you don't have to you don't have to worry about the fact that the film's half boring. So it's, 
Yeah. It's I I totally recommend it, but it, I I there I recommend seeing it in your own leisure in the most comfortable position you could be in because oh, you actually I disagree. What? I, I, well, maybe on your side of the ocean, but I was maybe. fucking guffawing as a crazy maniac in the audience with one next to me and we were talking the entire fucking time. There you was a guy bastards. that bought a D-box seat in back of us and we went up next to the rows for the D-box people so that we could feel the vibrations without paying for it. Cheap bastard I am sometimes. I didn't, I didn't want to pay full price. I, I actually wanted to go see it at IMAX but we couldn't help but laugh. You know, it was just yeah. so fucking funny the entire time. Absolutely. But continue what you had to say and then I want to get into just overall performances, best sequences in the movie, worst aspects of the movie and then we can close this out. They've had enough already of us <laughs> i'll just say that i think that what's clear from like the americas audiences and the uk audiences right is that um the fact that in the americas uh, and canada it's called fate of the furious it's not even called that here this is oh. this and it's very reflective of our sense of humor it's literally just called fast and the furious 8 how fucking stu- it's the worst title it's so dull that and it shows that we don't even have a sense of humor about it feet of the right. furious f- eight of the furious that is fucking hilarious i love it and we can't even call it that here because that's not what it's called <laughs> really yeah oh, that's amazing i'm just looking up right now the the uh the japanese title because they have the best japan always has the best titles for these fucking movies yeah. in japan the english title is wild speed Icebreak. Wow. Uh, and that... That is uh, possibly the coolest collection of words that could possibly put together. <laughs> Wild Speed Icebreak. Wild Speed Icebreak. Nice. Yeah, That's I, awesome. It'd be so cool, man. We should, Who wouldn't I'll... get hyped up for that? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's High Speed Icebreak. I think the other one was um, Wild Speed Sky Mission. That is the it. One... That's the seventh <laughs> one. Oh, my God. I was trying to think of it. It is brilliant. Uh, what, what was your uh, favorite moment of the film? And what was the the the, sh- the like the shittiest aspect of the movie, according to you? God, I have so many favorite parts. I mean, like, you go for the rock punching the torpedo. I mean, that's, Isn't that, that's, that was amazing. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> it's like fan fiction. They, they, they made it real. Uh, <laughs> it's weird because they, they thought of that. That's the funny. Hey, maybe uh, you should yeah. get the rock to, to punch a missile. Exactly, exactly. Torpedo, That's sorry. how you know that this is like one, probably the most fun series to work on in in Hollywood right now. Because yeah. you're the guy who gets to be in the pitch room and say the the rock should punch a torpedo into Russian separatists, and they go <laughs> love it. <laughs> you're the guy with the ideas around here, John. Exactly. <laughs> he's got that that rubber stamp that says okay, and he just goes around stamping shit on it. Okay, bang. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. What I, I love, I think my favorite line was actually three lines in a row. Right. And they were Michelle Rodriguez. Right. She says three lines and they're so badly delivered and so terrible. I can't even remember them. One of them is like, that bitch is crazy. Yeah. It's, it's awful. And then she says two more like, watch out. And it's, <laughs> I was in tears. I was like, like, this is incredible. She's really not even remotely trying. Oh, man. I feel like... The worst part about the the film that I didn't enjoy it was um, Charlie's Ferron. Uh, I liked what she was trying to go for, but the film didn't give her anything funny to do. You know, it oh. was just be cool. But even you know, like in the in the last one, Jason Statham, he had piles of hilarious moments that were also badass. She didn't have any of that. She was just like you know, creepy woman character hiding around in the shadows. It wasn't. She was channeling Hannibal Lecter, man. She didn't blink throughout the entire film. Oh she yeah, was this close to saying that. 
like a, I ate your baby's liver with a Chianti <laughs> and yeah. baba bean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's just like this. You're so close to telling Dominic that, man. It was fucking hilarious. Oh, I remember my favorite sequence. Uh, it's it's um, Jason Statham with the baby. Absolutely. 10 out of 10. That was beautiful. You're absolutely right. It was the spin-off from the Fast and Furious series that I wanted to see. Yeah. They had just a concept. They wanted to make a whole film out of it, but they wanted to make a pilot of it, and they put it in this film. Yeah. Uh, Jason Statham, baby assassin guy. It, I, it was amazing. I laughed the entire time. Every every pun, every move, the way they choreographed it, it was incredible. But that's the funny thing, and that scene's actually uh, uh, taken from Hard Boiled. It's a John Woo film. And oh, seriously? It's a, it, yeah, it's a hospital scene where I remember sitting through it and going... I've seen this. Anyway, that entire sequence was so cool. I I really thought that that was brilliant. (laughs) Jason Statham breaking the fourth wall, talking to the baby, but at the same time talking to the audience. I think my... I'll I'll go through the shit that I didn't like first. Sure. I don't want Scott Eastwood to be in anything anymore. (laughs) He was not good in this. He's never good. Even like in yeah. Suicide Squad, you're like, you stick out like a sore thumb, fuck off. You know, he's just there and he's distracting, he's even, annoying. I forgot he was in Suicide Squad, that's how bad yeah. that was. <laughs> he's really a bad actor. I mean, I don't like yeah. seeing him around, I don't care. He had the opportunity here to to sort of dethrone that perception of him as a guy who can't act, but his comedic timing wasn't even really much either. No! And that was kind of... That's kind of the final straw, really. He really had yeah. that opportunity, and he, he did. He made really little of it. Yeah, and he's not even charming. He looks good. I'll give him that. He looks good. But oh, yeah. He should look good and shut up. That's all he should do now. <laughs> Acting in this for him is terrible, 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 terrible. I, I, and it's not just because, I mean, you'll have good actors that will make really, really interesting things with bad lines. He can't even mm. do it. He's reading them seriously, and you're like, come on, man. You know this is not supposed to be taken seriously. Absolutely. Um, and Vin Diesel... I don't, I don't get it anymore. I've never seen a guy blunt. <laughs> I, well, I liked him in Riddick. You know, I used yeah, to like it. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of the the only guys out there that actually was like Chronicles of Riddick was a really good film. I liked that film a lot. I don't like the cliffhanger because I never sure. got the end of that fucking story. But I would have loved to see that, and I appreciated him in Pitch Black. You know, because I was like, okay, that's what he could do. But in this, he just grunts his way. He looks like he's on Vicodin the entire time. He's just half asleep. <laughs> Every time he says, like, family. All he does to look menacing is look, like, lean forward, lift yeah. his eyes up, and you see that he's struggling to keep the eyelids from just flapping down and falling asleep. It's very <laughs> to weird. Be fair, to in be this, in this film, he did his, his best to spike on the emotional range by shouting a little. This time he was angry, so he, he, he yelled a little, and that was... That was really him pushing the limits of what he can do. And- but I mean, I, I see Vin Diesel as a giant robot or a fucking thick tree. <laughs> <laughs> it works in these films anyway. I, it, you're, it's kind of part of the spectacle. He's just, when you dilute all the, the, the factors that make a good action film, including right. your charismatic, attractive lead, and you mm-hmm. you kind of, you take a step back for every Fast and the Furious attempt at doing those. Right. Vin Diesel's really pretty much exactly what you imagine as a, it's like a monotone, capable actor who's not exactly particularly interesting yeah. as an actor or in a motor. So, yeah, yeah. it fits. He's never seemed out of place to me. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's just like I hadn't seen him in years, so I didn't give a shit. You know, Vin Diesel's not yeah. a draw for me. I don't care. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, God, here we go, caveman. <laughs> and plus, I mean, The Rock is, has got such charisma as well. I mean, I can yeah. understand why Universal Pictures have decided to greenlight a, a Jason Statham, Dwayne Johnson spinoff movie. That That's going to be great. I mean, why wouldn't you want to see this? Like, because to me, the most impressive scene in the 
most fun scene in the movie is the Jason Statham treating the prison like a fucking parkour course. <laughs> that was so well done. You know, like, it was just sheer fun to watch. Yeah, it, I would have done without the shaky cam. I mean, we've been spoiled with John Wick style, like, filmmaking. Yeah. With where, like, you put the camera down and you let the actors do it. Now you got quick cuts and you, every time you see Statham, you're like, oh, why am I seeing the back of the head? Oh, there's the stunt. Fun sequence. I liked how it, it, it played down. The Rock just lifting the fucking concrete bench. Oh, that was man. so cool. So, I don't know, man. I, I, um, I'm glad that I wasn't, I headed into this with the right mindset was, this is the fate of the furious. I don't have to come in here and be ready to hate this, look at characterization, look at oh how formulaic it was or anything like that. Look at this the title. Not, it's called it, Fate of the Furious. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, I I genuinely wish I would have seen it in IMAX just so that my my, my brain could have been hit with how stupid and dumb this movie yeah, is yeah. and had just go with it. I wish I would have bought a bigger bag of popcorn. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> that's that's a good way to summarize it, really. <laughs> so anyway, so shall we close this out, sir? Let's do it, man. All right. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. I uh, want to give everyone uh, who's been supporting the show uh, in the last month or so, it's been kind of, it's been intense. It's been yeah, really cool. Bizarre, People, man. The Under the Skin uh, episode has uh, surpassed all of our expectations in terms of uh, listening uh, with retweeting as well. So many people have, have said so many nice things about that episode and we want to yeah. thank uh, all of you out there for kind of giving us that they, feedback. They, it's so cool. Yeah, they really embraced it uh, and it's it's great because it's the stuff that we really intend to do more of with the show. It's, it's like yeah. it's exactly what the, the kind of stuff we enjoy doing the most is, is really digging into films so um it's great that when we when we when we set aside time to really do it properly like we did under the skin that people really got on board with it ah that's that's so gratifying to hear yeah so i mean many many thanks go out to vince leo uh thank you so much for your nice comments also to uh tim costa uh walter vinci david hart um uh, sarah vent again uh, big shout out to her um because you know these people uh, tweeted the show and they gave us so many nice compliments on, on yeah. what was in there it was great mm -hmm. great great feedback to, to, to hear even JD Duran uh, reached out to me personally and uh, and uh, commented on it and uh, he really enjoyed the show as well so and thank you guys so much uh, I, I really uh, yeah I mean even on top of that I, we, we introduced the next show and people have been really coming back for that and been really interacting with it and, and, and really embrace the, the sort of lighter format even as we try to figure that out we're trying well. to figure so, it I, out yeah yeah so I mean it's it's kind of ridiculous that we're, we're throwing a lot of things that people are might you know not really want to take part in but people are really they're giving us great feedback on it and they're, yeah. they're, they're very complimentary so it's it's a weird time <laughs> yeah. and i also want to shout out to sheila obviously thank you so much i interacted and emerald williams again it was really really fun to interact with them online this week i know i'm forgetting someone uh, i'm sorry if i forgot who you are uh shout out to you the person that i forgot <laughs> shout you. out to you so all of you that i forgot to mention on this episode uh this is all you. Thank you so much to you. So, Lee, where can we find you, sir? <laughs> Not the you that we were referring to. The me. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, so you can find me at bigpicturereviews.co.uk. Oh, we didn't win our award. No. Oh, what a shock. <laughs> Did you see their uh, Twitter account? They've got like 125,000. Jesus, I know. Yeah, no, we, we're not in we're a, like in a couple, We're a couple of thousand <laughs> shy, but we're close. We got a shout out and all from the, from the award ceremony. Again, I couldn't make it because of money, uh, but it was great just to be involved, even if I never really took it seriously. <laughs> but it was just great. So, yeah, on top of that, you can reach me at Big Pick Reviews on Twitter. Uh, you can say hi. I'll say hi back. How did you find Freud's Freud's understanding of Fate <laughs> the Furious? You let me know. Jason? Cool. My name is Jason Michael. You can find me on Twitter at AtlanticSC. You can also find us on Facebook. Go to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast Facebook page. Leave us a review. There's a couple of people that gave us a review over there. It's really, really cool. Like the page. Share the page. Uh, if ever you guys are into movies, if you have any suggestions you want us to, for movies that, we're, that we might want to cover. So yeah, we, we love interacting with you guys. You guys can find us also on uh, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher Radio. Uh, we're also on apparently Podcast Addict. Overcast is another place uh, you can find us. That's it. Leave reviews on all those sites or the, or the preferred site of uh, uh, that you like to go to. And um, so that's it. I hope that you guys liked our, our weird little take on Fight <laughs> of the Furious. We hope it wasn't a waste of time for you. There's actually good material in there for an analysis of Fate of the Furious. Uh, yeah, if you want to take it to... actually serious for your your, your you know, college thesis or something, you can absolutely take our material. We don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for us on our the most pretentious podcast you will hear about Fate of the Furious. <laughs> Be sure to tune in to next uh, next week's episode or the week after's episode of Atlantic SC Next. And that's it. So be sure to check out the other shows, Under the Skin, and also at Next with Colin Llewellyn. Big shout out to him. Uh, that's it for us this week. That's it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.